What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Ball and the Real World. I am your host, Kane Pittman, and it is the off-season. But as we know, with basketball, things really never slow down. We've got transactions galore happening across the NBL, certainly across the NBA. But I think for the most part, basketball fans in Australia are still basking in the glory of the bronze medal that the Boomers brought home at the Tokyo Olympics. It was really a campaign that I got the sense captivated the entire sporting uh, fan base, I guess, in Australia, not just basketball fans, but certainly it was historic. It was memorable. And we're going to continue to look back on that and tell stories from that campaign that the Boomers had. With that in mind, uh, we're very fortunate today. Our special guest was an integral part of that squad. He started the campaign at the four. He finished the campaign at the five with the unfortunate injury to Aaron Baines, who had to withdraw from the tournament there. And not only that, he's recently signed his first NBA deal with the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, I'm talking about Jock Landau. I caught up with Jock just before he was about to board his flight and get to San Antonio and officially sign that deal, which we've seen that he has done now, uh, which is obviously thrilling for him. It's been a long time coming for Jock. So let's jump right into it. It was a fun chat. We spoke about the Olympics, some great stories along the way, and of course, what's to come in the NBA. Jock, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you, and particularly so in what is such a busy time for you moving forward and what has been and what will be in the next coming weeks. I want to work through from the Olympics uh, bits and pieces of the campaign, some stories along the way, and then get to the NBA stuff. But let's go back to training camp and first coming together with the Boomers in America. You'd been there before. So you've been there with the 2019 World Cup squad. So I'm curious about your mentality coming into this campaign. Did it feel like it was easier? Did you feel that it was more comfortable for you to walk into this team, understanding that you were going to play a significant role on a team that was hoping to create some history? I think this time was actually a little bit harder for me, um, especially at the fourth spot. When I was playing the fourth spot, I really felt out of sync a little bit to begin with. Um, and then kind of as the camp went on, I would, I would have flashes where I was like, oh, I really get it. And then there would be days where I'd be like, I'm just not really understanding like if I'm doing a good job or not. And, you know, I'd always be asking um, Matt Nielsen and, and those guys like, you know, am I doing a good job or is this uh, like, am I messing up? Cause I really, I can't tell at the fourth spot in the previous system, it was kind of like interchangeable and everyone was always involved. Uh, but this time around the fourth spot really had the clear cut role. And, uh, you know, you weren't necessarily like involved directly, but a lot of the stuff you did was indirect. And I kind of had a hard time grasping that for a little while, but every time I asked, they were like, no, like you're a vital piece. You're doing a great job and, and all that kind of stuff. So the, the beginning of the camp, I was kind of in my head a little bit um, trying to figure it out. And then, as the camp went on, uh, you know, I, I progressively got more and more comfortable just in what I had to, like the mentality shift I had to make was. Um, and I realized that I was doing a good job. It was just like, uh, it, it didn't necessarily always translate in, in the box score stuff. It was kind of doing all the little things. And, and I think that's where like guys like Mick K really stand out is uh, like, you know, he, he's fantastic at doing all the little stuff. Whereas, you know, my role through my career has always been like catching and finishing around the basket, 
being on the back end of like plays that result usually in 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 a point or or something like that. So um, it was really, it was a bit of a mentality shift going into that camp that I had to make. And once I kind of made it, I was I felt I felt more comfortable in what I was doing. And and you know whether or not that translated uh, onto a stat sheet, for example, I, I kind of figured out that I was doing a good job of it and just had to continue doing what I was doing. I know covering you here with United so closely that you basically played exclusively the five with United. How do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a four, more predominantly a five, or ultimately does it really depend on the system? It definitely depends on the system. Um, uh, I think I can definitely play both in any, in any system, but, uh, you know, yeah, it really depends on what someone needs me to do and what our lineups kind of look like. Because when Bainsey went down and I, I had to go to the five spot, it was, I mean, it was all good. Like I, I fit, fit in comfortably there and, and was able to do that job really well. Um, but that's kind of just what's, it's, it's what's comfortable to me is being a five because, I mean, you look at my career, I've always been a five. But I think so much of what we kind of started to do was interchangeable, especially between me and Nick uh, on like, you know, whether or not one played the five in a certain possession and the other played the five in a certain possession. It was really interchangeable, so we kind of fit what fitted well into four and five, I suppose. Like there wasn't really a clear-cut role for either of us. Um, but yeah, it definitely depends on 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 the system and and what's needed to be done. But I, I for sure think just because of my shooting ability, I can uh, I can play the four. It's just you know sometimes I like playing the five because I really feel as I thrive in in pick and roll, short roll, pick and pop situations. So you spoke about the role change when Aaron Baines went down and the fact that when he was on the floor and you were playing that floor, you were setting screens, hitting the offensive glass, which became a really important facet of the game for you guys right throughout the campaign. So when he goes down, you slot to the five. What was the predominant change or the major change in what you were asked to do on the floor? Because I know Nick Kay came in and he does seem like a guy that naturally does all those little things, whereas certainly... Again, going back to your time in Melbourne, what you've been doing in recent times, it fit more of that Aaron Baines role. No, it definitely did change. I think uh, I think that my role became a lot more clear cut in that I was always going to be involved in that. You know, end of shot clock, it's going to be me and Patty or me and Joe and Anombal. Um, so like that kind of adjustment and realizing I was going to be involved in those plays down the end of down the end of the game or the shot clock. Uh, was definitely like comforting for me. I quite like I enjoy being in that position and having that kind of load on on what I'm doing out on the court. Um, but yeah, I guess at the same time, like uh, when Bainsey was in there and I was just kind of spacing, you know, my job was to space. Like everyone knowing that I'm a 40% shooter kind of created a lot of opportunities for Bangers to roll down the lane and finish and Patty to kind of come off screens and. Um, yeah, it, it, my job was job was a lot more indirect, which is like it's always tough being in that coming off a season where, um, like people see what you can do. Like I just you know this thing that always kind of rattled through my brain early on in the campaign was we played against Argentina and like I didn't have a bad game. Like I just didn't really do a whole lot. But people see that like oh this guy's come off a season where he's averaging you know seventeen and nine and you know he's carrying or not carrying I shouldn't say that but like he's 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 got a massive role on this team to oh this guy's only had six points and six rebounds or something like that and everyone's like he can't play it at this level like he looked like he really struggled out there and 
all that kind of nonsense. And it's like, yeah, but you don't really get, you don't understand the role that I'm in. You don't understand the job that I've been kind of tasked to do. And a lot of the times it was, hey, stretch the defense, uh, spread out on the wing and let Paddy and Baines and Joe and Baines kind of play pick and roll. And it was effective for us. I mean, we, we were winning. Uh, we were beating, you know, some pretty damn good teams. So, you know, that kind of stuff uh, is always, it's it's like, it, it you know, everyone reads it, everyone sees it. Uh, you know, it, it rattles you, you know, for a little bit. But as long as you can move on and just get on with the job, which I think that I did to a really, you know, good ability, uh, it's all good. So I assume when you're going through as much as you were mentally, and of course you're locked into the boomers, what they're trying to do. Uh, I imagine in the back of your mind somewhere, there's the NBA stuff going on here. You're a free agent. You're looking to sign this deal. You've been pretty open about that. And the fact that free agency crossed over with the boomers, and then you're playing this role where, as you've sort of said, it might not necessarily translate to the box score. Is that difficult to overcome or are you able to get into a mindset where you look back and say, well, listen, these teams, my coaching staff is really happy with me. These teams watching, they'll see the little things, they'll understand, and it's not really going to impact what I'm trying to achieve uh, professionally outside of this tournament. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's, there is a mentality shift in that. And um, it's something that like, I've, I feel as I'm prepped for. Like Even some games at, at Melbourne United early on in the year, uh, you know, I felt like I was scouted so heavily that like my job job was really to facilitate the ball and just be a guy who's just kind of moving the ball and everyone's getting getting opportunities off me not shooting and like I preached that the whole season. I was like, no, this is like we're going to be successful not by me and Chris scoring twenty a night. It's going to be by four or five guys scoring between like you know thirteen and seventeen. Like that's how we're going to win. And you know, I think that like understanding that I'm not going to be the guy going into San Antonio scoring fucking 25 points a night. Um, it's it's going to be a matter of like uh, me just doing my job, doing the dirty work. And I think that the World Cup really prepared me well for that because, you know, I wasn't out there, you know, doing what Patty was doing. I was out there doing a role and just doing it as hard as and, and as well as I could. And I think that's what I'll be doing in San Antonio for sure. And, and you know, whatever uh situation is is happening on the court but um you know i, I do in, i i do enjoy just kind of doing the scrappy work running hard and transition and honestly down the stretch of uh down the stretch of the olympics you know when i got moved into the five spot like i had to kind of say to myself like oh, you're not going to be you're not going to be a five the five you were at uh at melbourne or you know wherever i had been in the past it's going to be like you know I said to myself, like, what what are three or four things you can critique yourself on at the end of the game and everything else will just follow. And it was rebound every ball around me, run hard in transition, um, roll really hard to the rim. And those were the three things that I critiqued myself on and everything else would just follow. Like, I knew that I would be fine showing in an on-ball um, and I was going to do that well every possession. Uh, but those were the three things that I was like, if I could do this, great. We'll thrive offensively. And um, that, that was it. Like, I think a lot of people hang their hats on as pick and pop fives on just popping every time. And I was like, no, we don't need that out of me. We need me to roll really hard to the rim and put pressure on the rim. And I would just, like, everything else would just kind of flow off that. So um, I think that, like, 
you know, simplifying things down into three categories is what I'll do again this year at San Antonio and, and just critique myself on those three boxes every game. So you mentioned San Antonio a few times there. So when you are in Tokyo, uh, I assume there's conversations with your agents. It's kind of a unique situation to be in the middle of a tournament and also dealing with free agency. So how did that process play out uh, in between practices, in between games? How frequent were the conversations as this sort of situation started to unfold and you perhaps became aware that the Spurs were showing some interest in you? Um, well, I mean, San Antonio wasn't really on like my radar personally, like too much. I mean, my agent obviously knew a lot more than I did. Um, because, but I said to him, I was like, look, man, like I'm in this tournament and, um, this is where I want my head to be. Like I understood that this was a massive, um, free agency for me. I knew that something was going to happen or, I knew that if there was going to be a year that it happened, this would be it. But I said to him, like, even though, like, I've, I've talked this situation up so much and this has to be the year that I make it, like, I don't want to be involved in it, like, until the, t- like, push comes to shove. So me and my agent didn't really talk. Like, he would send me good luck texts before games, but me and my agent didn't really talk until, 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 uh, uh, the morning of free agency. So when, when free agency, uh, opened up or two days into free agency or something like that. Um, he kind of messaged me and he was like, uh, yo, you know, I think free agency had opened. And then the, the day, uh, the like signings began, he texted me, he was like, yo, can we like jump on a call tomorrow? I want to just talk to you about, um, you know, how this is going to unfold and how we should attack this situation. And, um, I was like, yeah, sounds good. So me and India got on a call with, with him and he was like, yeah, actually, like, I'm not calling you to talk about um, like how this is going to go. I'm calling you to tell you that you're going to be in the NBA next year and like you've just got an offer from, from the Spurs. So like that's kind of how it all went down. Uh, like two or three days into it, you know, he gave me a call. But, you know, I kind of had a general idea of um, like teams that have been interested, obviously, from previous free agencies and, and whatnot, but uh, like the Spurs, they hadn't really like I, I hadn't heard their name in a while. So um, whether or not they had been talking to him, or if, you know, this, the the interest initially just wasn't big enough for my agent to you know kind of bring them to me as like a an option in previous years. Um, you know, I, I had no idea, and then for him to spring that on me, it was like a dream situation come true. Like I've always idolized them as an organization and and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, yeah, it was it was it was out of the blue. I w- I would say, and um, I w- I'm pretty happy that it's there now. Yeah, I mean, I'm imagining at this point, then when the deal is announced, or when he tells you that that there's really not much hesitation there at all. Yeah, well, on that, like I, I said to him, like that, like first deal that comes across the table, I'm signing regardless. Like there's no, there's not going to be any waiting around for a better thing. It was you know, first deal I get, we're signing it. And it just happened to be like one of the teams that I've always wanted to play for. So. All right. So let's cut to the chase. Paddy Mills is in Tokyo, long time spur. He's going through his own free agency stuff. Did you run and tell him what's the Paddy Mills story? Uh, I, I think this was one of the, the interesting links here when you signed with the Spurs, obviously he eventually signed with the Brooklyn Nets as well. Uh, did you talk to Paddy at all? Well, like, 
it's funny you say that Patty kind of gave me a hard time about this because uh he had just like put out an Instagram photo or something like that and you know the guy's like next door to me in the village but he just kind of put out an Instagram photo when I got told and it was like I'm I'm in the portal or something like that which like in his words is like I'm just locked in I'm focused and nothing's gonna get to me so I was thinking to myself, I was like, damn, do I go talk to this guy right now and kind of get his general vibe on what's going on? Or do I just like leave him alone because I've just seen this post being put out. So I kind of heard that like, that's, I read that that's what he, what he was going through. And I was like, I'm leaving this guy alone. Like it would be selfish of me to uh, go in there and be like, Hey Patty, like, you know, how's the Spurs when we had like a bigger goal in mind. And that was my whole mentality during that campaign was like, no, this isn't about the NBA free agency. I'm not worried about, you know, how I'm playing personally. It's about winning. It's about winning a medal. And uh, these guys have put like 12 years towards this thing. And if I was to come in here and, and make this about me, it would just like, I would feel shocking about myself as like a teammate, which is something I pride myself on. So I didn't say anything to him. And then he found out, he found out everyone kind of read the tweet that I'd uh, agreed to terms. And um, every single person in basketball Australia reached out and said, congrats, except for Patty. And I was like, this guy must really be locked in right now. Like just beyond belief. And I was like, I didn't know whether or not to be like, Hey man, I'm signed with the Spurs. Like how are you? Uh, but in, instead I was just like, whatever, I'll just leave it alone. And then after we won bronze, literally like 30 minutes after we'd won or, you know, we got onto the bus and he was like, yo, we sit next to each other on the bus down the back by ourselves. And you're not going to say a single thing to me or ask me anything about San Antonio. And he was like, I was just like, dude, like, I didn't know what to say. Like, you know, obviously I was chuffed and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't want to take you out of the portal. And, you know, so I, I tell him that he did it to himself. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So the timing of this, you spoke about not only your own awareness of wanting to lock into the campaign, but also your teammates as well. So was this a little bit of a release for you, a, a mental relief at the stage of the tournament? that this went down? How did this impact your own ability to lock in, focus, and continue with the campaign with the Boomers? Uh, well, it happened It happened the day before we played the US. Yeah. And so like, there was a little bit of added pressure. And like, I was obviously like, uh, like pe- people were texting me and um, they were like, man, like, you know, jocks, playing against the US, but not only the US is playing against his future coach. And I was just like, oh, is that really like something that like people are gonna like judge this game on? Like, is that like gonna be a factor in it? And, uh, but to be honest with you, like, again, it was nothing about, it was nothing about playing against Pop or, um, you know, being about free agency. It was about, okay, we gotta go in here and we gotta beat the US just to guarantee that we're getting, um, getting a medal. And, you know, obviously the game didn't go the way we wanted, but for the first half, it was like, we've kind of got this figured out and things were going great. We were all playing really well. And then, you know, they made an adjustment at halftime and, and obviously took off. But, um, yeah, there was there was no real... I feel as though I'm pretty good at just like uh, like focusing on, you know, when, when I get to a game, obviously like my mind might run, run a little rampant leading up to a game. 
But once I'm there, I'm kind of in my routine of like warming up, everything just goes blank and I don't apply any extra pressure to myself. So yeah, I was pretty good at just shrugging that off and playing hard. So we saw images that came out pretty quickly. They were all around on social media, obviously Patty Mills in discussions with Kevin Durant after the medal ceremony. Did you speak with Greg Popovich at all, whether it was either after that bronze medal game perhaps or it was after the Team USA a game knowing that you had signed and and as you know he's about to be your head coach uh the medal presentation we had a chat uh and i went up to kelden as well uh yeah. kelden congratulated me after after our game um and a couple of those other guys did as well but uh no nah, pop pop was really embracing patty after that game because he knew how much it meant to him and and i think that i was just kind of you know i was just a, a bystander of that so you know he shook my hand tapped me on the butt and we just kind of went our separate ways but um you know after the after the during the medal ceremony he uh you know we we had a chat and um you know talked about what the next next steps were and all that kind of stuff and yeah i mean he's a fantastic bloke so yep so what does the next few days look like for you you're currently in los angeles i know you're about to head to san antonio i'm not sure what communication you've had with the team and and what your plans are signing with the team plenty to organize what's your expectation here coming up yeah uh so i'll, I'll, I'll go to san antonio tomorrow uh, do my physical on monday um i think that i'll sign after the physical is all checked off and and kind of go from there and you know I, they've uh, from what i've gathered like i had i have the option to kind of go do my own thing and, and just get away from san antonio but I feel as though there's so much to set up and kind of get ready for. And I really being my first season, I want to get on the front foot. So I'll probably just stay out there and get to work and, and try and, you know, get the lay of the land and, and just like work on my game. I have, I haven't worked like I won't, I haven't had this amount of time in a long time just to kind of work on my craft. So, um, you know, I'm pretty excited to get out there and just get to work with, with those guys and try and get on the front foot of, um, you know, hopefully securing some kind of playing time this year. So let's go backwards a little bit to the Olympics again. We've referenced the Team USA game a little bit earlier. Halfway through the second quarter, everyone's fired up. As you pointed to, you guys are up by 15 points. It obviously didn't go the way that you wanted. How did you personally bounce back for the bronze medal game? What was the feeling in the locker room? Was there discussions between the players? What's your memories of either directly after the buzzer there or certainly in the hours after, or perhaps the 24 hours after that loss to Team USA? Well, I think that Gorge played a massive part in that. He, uh, he kind of came in and, and he gave us one of his, you know, legendary speeches and, and everyone was like fired up, like, like let's go play right now. Like, yeah. it was that kind of vibe. So, um, you know, we went back to our hotels and, you know, a couple of guys had early nights. I know myself, uh, I had an early night because it was kind of like, there was so much build up throughout like those previous days of just like win, 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 win. And you were kind of on this, it was like your emotions were building up. Like, yo, we're actually, we could do this. And then you cop that loss. And I was just like emotionally exhausted. So I had went back. I think Patty did as well. Um, maybe Joe and like some dudes were pretty much dudes were sleeping on the bus. Guys went back to the, to the rooms and went straight to sleep. So there was like a, there was an aura of like not necessarily disappointment, but just like guys, some guys were exhausted. Um, and then the following day, it was kind of 
like the vibe hadn't changed at all. It was right back to like gold vibes only almost, which changed to rose gold vibes only. But um, yeah, we, we really just like picked up where we left off and we're back onto it. And I, f- I think I felt as though going into that game, like I felt confident in our ability to bounce back. Whereas in the World Cup, there was still, it felt like there was a little bit of a hangover effect. So um, yeah, I felt really confident going into that game. So what stands out to you from the bronze medal game? Sometimes it's always interesting to talk to athletes that have been in these big moments. Uh, sometimes it's all a blur. You guys were able to really gain control, certainly in the second half and towards the end of the uh, fourth quarter. Is there anything in particular, a moment, uh, a shot, a play, whatever it may be, that particularly stands out to you with the bronze medal game against Slovenia? Yeah, I mean, as a as a player, I kind of go into a space where I forget a lot about the game. Um, I haven't actually watched the game back yet, which is really rare of me. I generally jump straight onto a laptop after the game and I watch that whole thing back. But the celebrations and stuff kind of took precedent. Uh, and I do, I do want to go back and watch that at some point. But I think the thing that really stuck out to me was... Uh, like Patty was keeping us in that thing. And I know the guy had 42 and nine and, you know, he loves telling everyone about it, but um, what really like stood out to me was when Dante started hitting threes and then Joe has three threes. Nick K has a big three. So like the, like the floodgates just kind of opened up because of all that work Patty had done to just keep us, keep us in it. So like no disrespect to Paddy because obviously he had an incredible game, but the thought that sticks out to me was all the other guys then getting involved and oh, like it just felt like the floodgates opened and, and and as soon as that started happening, I was like, oh, we got this in the bag. Like this is we're about to create history. And like Chris is on the bench with me going mental, and when Chris goes mental, you're like, all right, we're we're in this, we're gonna win. And so like that kind of stuff really stood out to me more so than like what everything like stands out to everyone else like maybe that's just because i expect patty to have 40 every game but that's it was the other little stuff around patty's you know excellence that really stood out to me all right let's cut to the chase the celebrations is what everyone wants to hear about jock and i'm pretty sure it was joe ingles that was on the instagram live we got a little bit of an insight here in australia on the bus you're throwing beers down everyone's having a pretty damn good time is there anything you can share? Is there anything that stands out, whether it might be an interaction that you had with someone or a conversation or any type of memory that you could share with us from the celebrations? Because it looked like a pretty fun place to be. i got to tell you, I think for, for all Australians, we were, we were hanging on any type of insight we had of what was going on in the celebrations there. It'll be a strange mixture of me forgetting a lot because <laughs> of how much alcohol was consumed and incidents that will stand out forever but like i obviously can't let you in on all the stuff but i will say that uh a lot of us a lot of a lot of the australian boomers know how to put away some some beers and and have a good time but uh yeah uh i think that i think that kind of that initial like excitement in the locker room straight after the game first sip of beer in in three or four weeks like that, that was like, that'll stand ring true in my head forever as, you know, some of the, one of the best sips of beer I've ever had. So this last three months for you, Jock, I think I tweeted directly after the bronze medal game and I said something along the lines of, 
not a bad little period here for Jock Landau. NBL Championship with Melbourne United. NBL Grand Final MVP. You win the bronze medal with the Boomers. And you also sign your first NBA deal with the San Antonio Spurs. So as you sit back now and you reflect on this, and I'm not sure whether you've really had time to do this, to be quite honest, how would you summarize this last little period either in your career or in your life? How would you summarize this? I think the, the, the best way to summarize it is I, I'm not going to let this be the, the peak of my career. Uh, some people have actually texted me being like, man, it, it must be so crazy to you that like all this has happened. Is, is this the peak for you? And I'm just like, the kind of guy I am is like, yes, I, I try and enjoy the moment as best I can. And I don't, I'm not actually that good at it, at, that good at it. But that's because I just feel so driven to get to like, to keep improving and, and, and keep developing as a person and as a player. And, um, you know, maybe there's some fault in that in itself, but like as when people started texting me that it kind of took me straight out of like enjoying the moment. And I was like, hell no, like there's still a gold medal to be won. There's still a second contract to get. There's still this, that and the other, but with like putting all that aside, like this, this time period has really just been a testament to the hard work and, and, you know, heartbreak and pain and you know all of the stuff that i've had to go through in the past years like the doubt from people the the everything so uh you know it, it's been really hard at times and and i think i reflect on on that more so than anything is just kind of the pain that i've been through to get to this point um but i'm i'm so determined to not let this be you know, the peak of my career and in that, you know, all of the awards and accolades and championships and medals and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I, I want, I want to continue striving for that. And that's kind of what I set out to do in my career was win as many championships across the world as possible, win a gold medal. Um, there's, there's a lot more to do. Uh, but in saying that it's been, it's been a hell of a, a month and I feel like I'm only just getting started. All right, final question I've got for you, Jock, and I couldn't let you go without asking this. You mentioned Gorge and the speeches that he had after you lost to the Team USA, and I, I think you, you talk about being fired up by Brian Gorgian. Uh, this guy gets everyone fired up. You can be in a Zoom press conference with this guy and he gets everyone fired up. It's incredible the passion that he speaks with. I don't think that you've played under Brian Gorgian before, so how would you summarize playing in a Brian Gorgian team and what you have learned and what you have taken away from the experience because I'm yet to meet anyone that has played under him or had anything to do with him that says a single thing bad about him. It's a it's a roller coaster, but it's it's it is seriously incredible how this guy can fire motivate and capture the attention of a room in a few short words like you know, when Gorge wants to make a point, it's like you'll snap your neck just like firing like a shot at, like just getting to eye to eye with him. And like there are so many times, like it's, I've had some really good coaches in my time, like Andre Trincheri, Saras Yesikavichis, Randy Bennett, all of these guys, Dean Vickerman, all these guys have been phenomenal coaches. But no one has ever left me with like, and I'm getting goosebumps literally right now, but nobody has ever left me with goosebumps meeting after meeting after meeting. Like it's insane. So this guy is just, the way 
delivers his message and gets a point across is unbelievable. And I mean, the result speaks for itself. Like, I don't think we would have been able to do it without Gorge and his attention to detail. And he's a savant, honestly. He, he just understands the game like no one else. And, and to be able to kind of, you know, immerse yourself in his, his excellence just kind of takes you to new heights. You know, I learned so much throughout this campaign and, and you know, have nothing but the best things to say about him. Well, that's going to do it for this special episode of Ball and the Real World. Jock Landau was fantastic, as he always is. Always fun answers. The Patty Mills stuff was awesome. The celebration stuff was awesome. And overall, as I said right off the top of this podcast, I think Australian basketball fans and sports fans in general across the country are still basking in the glory of what was a really, really fun campaign. So Jock Landau, since we chatted, has landed in San Antonio. He signed that contract and it's certainly going to be fun to see how that all pans out for him. Of course, we know training camp only a few weeks away from now and then we'll lead into preseason basketball, which is really starting basically in the first couple of days of October. So it feels like the NBA is just finished, but it's right on our doorstep. We thank you all for joining us here today on this episode. If you're a first-time listener, feel free to subscribe, follow, depending on what platform you listen to your podcast. We certainly appreciate it. We've got some cool stuff still coming on the channel, so make sure uh, you are set up there to get your notifications when we drop a new episode. You can follow me at Kane Pittman on Twitter. And until next time, stay safe, and we'll catch you on Ball and the Real World. <laughs>